0: The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ in his mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Good morning. It is good to be with you, even if we're just meeting online, to be virtually gathered, to, to remember that one of the promises of the gospel is that God's people are united, to one another by His Holy Spirit, and so even though we're in different rooms, we are not separated from each other, but we're one in Christ. He describes us as His body. As we get into this passage, I want to make a quick uh, announcement. Uh, really, just to kind of talk through what we can be doing uh, during this season as we're as we're waiting for uh, life to resume. Um, and that is, we, we talk here about the pathway for a disciple uh, in terms of worship, connect, and serve. And uh, ways that we can be doing that here um, at Christ Press, because, because it's important for life to continue and for our rhythms to be such that we are still worshiping Christ as his people, that we're still connecting to one another and, we'll still, and we're still serving our church and our, and our world and our neighborhood. So ways you can do that. Worship. Just continue to gather uh, virtually at 10 a.m. during this service. Uh, If you're a part of the Cool Springs or Music Row location, we're pre-recording our sermons. So at the sermon point of the live stream, you can click over uh, and watch the sermon that I've prepared. If you're a part of Cool Springs or that Stacy has prepared. If you are a part of Music Row, but there's something I don't know. There's something just, just endearing for me of gathering even virtually at 10 a.m. for worship uh, as God's people on Sunday. So once these services has happened, these sermons are still online. They remain online and will continue to be there. Um, But uh, if you're able to gather for the live stream, it's, it's working and it's been pretty beautiful to be a part of that. Connect um, keep connecting to one another, uh, people. I, I'm seeing all of the uh, a, a lot of photos from people of their uh, connect groups gathering over Zoom um, and sending those screenshots. It's it's what a time to be alive. Uh, having the technology to do this, um, to use things like Zoom to just be uh, kind of in the same room with people. People used to use technology like this primarily for work and for business and for meetings. Now people are using it just to hang out with each other um, and and chat. So continue to do that. Reach out to one another. Uh, take care of yourselves and your neighbors, which really gets into serve, and that is use this time. Uh, I've noticed personally that that uh, I've been able to have deeper conversations with my neighbors uh, than I have in the past, primarily because we're all working around with something like this. So this is a great time, if you don't know your neighbors very well, uh, t- to be on the lookout for them, to either knock on their door or if you see them in their yard, go, go over to them and say hi. See if there's anything they need. Uh, see if there's anything you can do for them. And just even let them know uh, that you count them as your neighbor, uh, and that you are there to help them in any way, and and uh, th- this is a beautiful way that we can be serving our neighbors, not just now, but also deepening those relationships with the people that we live in proximity with. So uh, use this time uh, to really engage with the people around you. Continue your worship. Continue connecting with one another. Continue serving. Also, the other way to serve, uh, another way to serve that we've been mentioning is to continue in your giving uh, to the church. Uh, The the ministry of the church is carrying on. Our ministries are still happening. We're still supporting our ministry partners. Uh, So any way that you can be continuing on in that, um, please continue to do that. If you have thought about giving to the church and haven't uh, this is a really good time to explore that you can go on the website and there's a button there that says give and you can sign up for online giving and set that up for yourself in the way that you want to do it Um, but wanted to mention that as well all right I'm going to read this morning's passage which is one of my favorite stories in the whole of Scripture And then I'm going to unpack it by way of telling you a story. So I'm really going to spend most of this morning's message in uh, storyteller mode. Uh, But let me read the passage, and then we'll we'll just jump into it. This is John 12, verses 12 through 19. I'm reading from the ESV. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And had been done to him. The crowd, this is important. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. How fragile are things really right now? How fragile are they really? As Christians, we're told that we don't grieve as those who have no hope. What is our hope? At the center of our hope is the strength of Jesus Christ. So I'm going to let my nerd flag fly for a second and take you back to the Lord of the Rings. Uh, In the Lord of the Rings, there is this character named Aragorn who is the king. And when we first meet him, he's going by the name Strider and he's kind of lurking in the shadows and he's a mystery and we don't know much about him. But by the time we get to the return of the king, he has risen in this place of prominence as a leader and somebody of strength. And there's a moment when he's going through this, this cave that is filled with imprisoned spirits and they're not happy they're not happy about the fact that they're imprisoned spirits and that promises have been made to them and those promises have never been fulfilled while outside of the cave Sauron's army is is almost defeating everything that's good and and everything is just on the precipice and as Aragorn is going through that cave these spirits don't want to let him pass and he says they're going to let him pass whether they want to or not. And they said no. And they said we suffer no man. And he, if you've seen the movie. It's such a powerful moment in the movie. When he says you will suffer me. And a ghost, the ghost king draws his sword to, to, to strike him. And Aragorn raises his sword made of steel. And the ghost sword hits it and stops against it. And all of a sudden we realize. Aragorn has a power. That we did not really know was there and all of a sudden it's on. This passage of scripture is one of those passages where we're starting to get a glimpse of the power of Jesus. If you're in a moment right now where you feel like things are fragile and you're just barely hanging on and things may just completely fall apart... This passage is here to encourage us and strengthen us, this Palm Sunday passage, because what's going on in this passage is revealing to us the magnificent strength of Jesus Christ. If you have needed a strong Savior, this is the passage. The hope for the Christian is that Jesus has defeated the power of death. And we're going to look at the strength of Jesus, one who defeats the power of death as we unpack this. And what I want you to do is I want you to take the thing that you fear the most, the thing that has you most anxious, the thought, the, the, the circumstance, the, the uncertainty of what is lying ahead. I want you to take it. And if you're sitting at home on your couch, I want you to make a place for it to sit. And I want you to sit it there And tell it to pay attention and to be with you as you unpack this passage. Because this passage has a lot to say to the thing that causes your heart to fear the most. In John chapter 10 verse 18, Jesus made a statement. And it's a statement that needs to be tested. And the statement is this. He said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord and I alone have the authority to do this which was given to me by the Father. When we come to Holy Week, which Palm Sunday is the beginning of Holy Week, this is the time to test that statement. Did someone take Jesus' life for him or did he lay it down of his own accord? Because if somebody took it from him, then at best what we have in Jesus is a martyr who died for a cause And he then exists to be an inspiration for us to stand up in the face of opposition. But if he laid it down, something else entirely is happening. And that is that he is saving us. And that's what the word Hosanna means, save us. So today is the first day of Holy Week. It's Palm Sunday. So on that first Palm Sunday, here would have been the situation. Bethany, which was a uh, village that sat just to the east of Jerusalem. So if you want to think about it in terms of of geography, think of Bethany as Brentwood and Jerusalem as downtown Nashville. That's about as far away as those two places were from each other, Uh, maybe even closer uh, and Jesus is sitting, uh, he, Jesus is there, it's, and Bethany is just buzzing because Jesus has come back. Jesus has been away for a little bit, we're going to talk about that. He's been gone for some time, and the circumstances behind his previous departure had left him a legend. They'd left him a legend. Uh, some wanted to crown him king, and others wanted him dead. Now, it's Passover week, which means people are flooding into Jerusalem from all over to offer their sacrifices. It's the high holy feast. And Jesus leaves Bethany and enters Jerusalem on this eve of Passover, riding on a colt. Can you see it? What's happening here is Jesus is approaching Jerusalem and he's fulfilling a prophecy. In Zechariah 9.9, 9, which is here in the text, that he's writing in, your king is coming, kingly yet humble. And people are lining the streets, and they're laying down coats and palms. And the reason they're doing it is it's similar, if you think of it, it's similar to what a, um, uh, a flower girl does at a wedding. Uh, where they're laying down rose petals, is basically they're dignifying the path on which the one who is walking uh, proceeds. And so that's what the palms are doing. They're laying down palms as a way of saying, this man shouldn't suffer the indignity of having to come into contact with a filthy street. They're creating a way that is noble and holy. And they're calling out, Hosanna, save us now. And everybody who's gathered there, who's doing this, They're there for a reason. They have an idea in their own minds about who Jesus is and what he was there to do. But guess what? Every last one of them is wrong. (laughs) Every last one of them is mistaken about who Jesus is and what he has come to do. Which I find it to be encouraging in a way because it is so easy for us to presume that we know who Jesus is and what he wants When he is in fact doing something other entirely. So everybody is there, and on this ride, Jesus is intervening in our lives now. He's making good on his promise that no one would take his life from him, but that he would lay it down with his own authority. This ride from Bethany to Jerusalem would not have mattered at all to anybody if it wasn't for the crowds that were there. And the question we have to ask is, why did these crowds gather? Because it's a little bit like what, what you read here in John, is he's describing a flash mob in a way. And now we have Twitter and Instagram, and we have ways to create flash mobs, and, and you know, to let people know, hey, at this time, on this day, gather in this place, and we'll do this thing. And, 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 and that's happening. But in Jesus' time, there's no, there's no Twitter. But what there is, is there's a story. There's a story that's unfolding. John tells us why they're there. Did you see it? It was in verse 17 and 18. They're there because of Lazarus. That's why they're there. And so here's that story. You can just settle in. I'm going to tell you a story in storyteller mode. Let it wash over you. Here it goes. Some weeks before this happened, weeks before Jesus was riding into Jerusalem on this colt, there was a man in Bethany who got sick. We don't know what kind of sickness. It might have started as a cough or maybe a headache or maybe a dull pain in his abdomen. But whatever it was, we know that whatever started, it got worse. And it got worse to the point where Lazarus couldn't even get out of bed anymore. And so he lay there as his sisters cared for him. And it was the kind of sickness that made his sisters at a certain point know. He's not going to make it. It was something that they had seen before with other people. When they get this particular sickness and they get to this point in the sickness, there's no, there's no coming back from it. And they had gotten there. And so Mary and Martha, they send word to Jesus, whom they loved, and who loved them. You know, Scripture presents, I love this, Scripture presents Mary and Martha and Lazarus as Jesus' friends. It's fun to think of that, of Jesus having friends. That he had his disciples and his people who were with him and people that he performed miracles for. But when you read about Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, he's in their home They they speak very frankly with each other. They love each other. Even that we see in John 11 when we read the story of Lazarus' illness. That what Mary and Martha say to Jesus is they say the one you love is sick. In other words, he's alive but he's fading. Suffering and death. They tell us this world is fading. Fading. When Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, this is what he said. This is John eleven four. 4. This is the mysterious Jesus, whose identity is one that unfolds over time for us. This is what he said. He said, this illness does not end in death. It is for the glory of God that the Son of God may be glorified through it. John eleven four. 4. The question then is, how will Jesus be glorified through Lazarus's sickness? Does he mean that the acclaim that he's talking about is going to come from raising Lazarus? That Jesus is going to raise Lazarus and that's going to result in the glory of the Son of Man. And that glory then would be what we see at Palm Sunday. It's an important question to ask. Let's keep going. Jesus, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he, what did he do? He stayed where he was two more days, which is recorded in one of the strangest scriptures that you'll ever read. It says this. This is John eleven five 5, and 6. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so he stayed two days longer, In the place where he was. The Greek is clear here. He loved them so or therefore he delayed his coming. It wasn't that he loved them and was busy and couldn't get away. It was because he loved them. He delayed his coming. How is that good? Because you may be feeling like, I am waiting on Jesus to do something and it is so plain to me what he should do. This is not easy. Because by the time Jesus arrived in Bethany, Lazarus had been dead for four days. Meaning at least a full week had passed between hearing of Lazarus' sickness and arriving at Lazarus's home and it's what Jesus told his disciples in those days between that reveal his reason for waiting here's what he said in John 11:15 he said Lazarus is dead and for your sake I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe glad? What did he want them to believe? What is going on? Because this is not easy. Jesus used that time between hearing of Lazarus's sickness and arriving at Lazarus's side to let Lazarus die. He used this time to let his sisters have the experience of watching him breathe his last breath. To cradle his lifeless body as they wrapped him for burial. To weep at his graveside. To endure that lonely feeling that only grief gives. Like your insides have just been hollowed out. And you dare not hope that it was all just a bad dream. It's such a sober thing that happened here. Jesus used this time to let his disciples and Lazarus' sisters question him, even doubt him. Martha said in her grief, if you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And that is an incredible statement of faith. That Martha is making. Because what she's saying is she believes Jesus could have intervened. He could have prevented Lazarus' death. But he just didn't arrive in time. And Martha, she wants the Messiah to give an account of himself. Have you ever been there where you've, you've demanded... God, you owe me an explanation for your behavior. Why have you chosen this path over the one that I've asked you to choose? Jesus says to Martha, your your brother will rise again. He had allowed Lazarus to die so that he could raise him from the dead. But this wasn't a parlor trick for Jesus. This, he wasn't playing fast and loose with Lazarus' life. In fact, when he came to Lazarus' tomb, he saw something that moved him deeply. He saw Mary, Lazarus' other sister, who sat weeping for her brother. And she also said to Jesus, if you'd only been here. And Jesus began to weep too. Death is such an intruder. It's why Jesus came. Death is the wage of sin, we're told in scripture. And so when Jesus told Martha that Lazarus would rise from the dead, she said, I I know he will at the last day, as if to say, I know. When time is through, I, I know. But Jesus told her, no, Martha, listen. I am the resurrection and the life. And whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives because he believes in me will never die. And then he says to her, do you believe this? When Jesus asks Martha, and by extension all of us, this question, when he says, I'm the resurrection and the life, and anyone who believes in me, even though he dies, yet shall he live, do you believe this? The subtext, the logical counter question is, do you believe this or do you believe something different? Then Jesus goes to the cave where Lazarus' body lay and he asks for the stone to be rolled away. And they warned him. They said, listen, Lazarus has been in here for four days now. He's going to be foul and rotten. But Jesus turned and prayed aloud, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around me that they may believe that you have sent me. So Jesus is praying. In a way, he's praying for show. He's praying aloud so that they will hear him talking to the Father. And then he turned around and he called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And covered in the wrappings His loved ones had bound him in. He came out. And Jesus said, unbind him. What does this story have to do with Palm Sunday? Our text tells us, after this happened, after raising Lazarus so publicly, people began to put their faith in Jesus by the score. Many in that region began to think of Jesus as a king if he could defeat death, just imagine what he could do to Rome. And this terrified the high priests because they feared that the Roman authorities would punish them for letting the Jews start referring to one of their own as their king. And there could only be one king over Jerusalem, and that would be Caesar. And so they said in John eleven forty eight and 53, if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him and the romans will take away both our place and our nation so from that day on they made plans to put him to death because of this they made a plan to put jesus to death this was the tipping point once the decision to put jesus to death had been made we read in john 11:54 quote jesus could no longer walk openly Around the Jews after that, but went from there to the region near the wilderness to a town called Ephraim, and there he stayed with his disciples. Do you see what happened? Mary and Martha tell Jesus Lazarus is sick. Jesus does not come. He lets Lazarus die. He lets him stay dead long enough that there's no question that he was dead. He raises him from the dead. People put their faith in him by the score. The chief priests say, this is an untenable situation. We have to take Jesus out. Lazarus would be the tipping point that would set the religious leaders in Jerusalem on a course to find Jesus and kill him. The heat was on. So what would Jesus do? Well, the first thing he did is he went into hiding. But then what? As Passover drew near, Jesus set his face like a flint toward Jerusalem. When the time had come, that's where he went. Would his life be taken from him, or would he lay it down? Well, where did he go when he came back to Jerusalem at the eve of Passover week? Which, so if it's Palm Sunday now, this would have happened yesterday, on the Saturday before Palm Sunday. Where did he go when he returned to the area? You won't believe me when I tell you. He went to Lazarus' house. And he didn't just go to Lazarus' house, which is the scene of the crime, right? He didn't just go to Lazarus' house, but he went to Lazarus' house and they threw a loud, big party. And what happened there? John twelve nine tells us. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. People wanted to see Jesus and Lazarus together. They were famous. And this is bold. People are thirsty for blood. And Jesus is telling the whole world where to find him. Are these the actions of a man who is having his life taken from him? or is he laying it down what happened the night the morning after that big party palm sunday the next morning jesus rode on that colt and it was the first time since raising lazarus that he'd shown his face in jerusalem how did he show his face in jerusalem for the first time Riding in like a king. You will suffer me. The news of Lazarus' resurrection had circulated. Even those who heard about it later viewed him as a celebrity. Everybody wanted to catch a glimpse of Jesus because he was awesome. That's where we get the flash mob people went out to meet Jesus and to receive him like a king because of what they heard happened with Lazarus, John 12, 17 and 18. Now remember, Jesus kept saying that Lazarus' death would not end in death, that his sickness would not end in death, but would end in the faith of many and in the glory of the Son of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. What if he wasn't referring to the glory that those people were giving him on that hillside for what he had done with Lazarus. The glory Jesus had in mind was that Lazarus' death and resurrection would be the event that would steal the resolve of the religious leaders to hand Jesus over to a death that he would freely accept A death he would conquer, which was different than Lazarus, which was only the delaying of death. Jesus waited out, see, hear this. Jesus waited out Lazarus' sickness and let him die so that he could raise him. And so that this world would no longer be able to contain Jesus without either making him a king Taking his life. And both realities were forming as he rode on that colt into that city. If Jerusalem is a beehive, as Jesus is riding into Jerusalem, he's hitting it with a stick. When the people cried, your king is coming. They praised his victory over Lazarus's death. But the irony is that he is not coming to claim his crown for that death and resurrection. He was riding into Jerusalem to initiate his own death and resurrection. And he accepted the adulation of the people calling him king. Why? Because he is. He is the king. And what he has come to do is kingly. What is it that he has come to do? He has come to secure our citizenship in his kingdom by defeating the thing that separates us from it. Sin and death. What a story. So I want to conclude with just a couple of observations. As we see the strength of Jesus unfolding. And the first observation is this. Be encouraged by this. Nobody present on that hillside on Palm Sunday really understood what Jesus was doing. None of them did. Not even his closest disciples. John tells us his disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered. When Jesus spoke of his impending death to his disciples, they rebuked him for it. They didn't get it. And the people praising him on the hillside, they didn't get it either. They were thinking that their greatest need for divine intervention was for God to deal with the external oppression of Rome. And the religious leaders, they didn't get it. They thought his power was going to lead to Israel's destruction. Because people were calling him king. Ironically, what he was doing in that process was not going to lead to Israel's destruction, but was going to lead to Israel's salvation. (laughs) But who are you on that hillside on that day? Because no one on that hillside, at least in that moment, could connect the dots for how Jesus methodically was playing out a scene It was as if there was a net and the net had a drawstring around it. And that drawstring was looped through certain points in time that would require things like his arrest and his trial and his death and his resurrection. And all those things would happen in one week's time. And that net is being sprung. And Jesus is the one who both set the trap and sprung it and caught himself in it. Think of the moments that people endured as Jesus was in the process of delivering us. Lazarus and people endured awful things. Lazarus endured sickness and death. And the loneliness that came with it, right? There were moments of really profound sorrow and confusion and grief for Mary and Martha. Things that this world, we experience in this world. I'm very acquainted with grief. And I know it won't always exist, but it exists now. His own disciples, his closest followers, were confused about who he was and what he was doing. (coughs) There were murder plots to kill him, to kill Lazarus. He had to lay low. He had to go into exile. He had to keep his head down for a while. There were confused want to be followers on the hillside and they were hillside and they were giving misguided praise because they didn't really understand what was happening. These are often the points where we want Jesus to intervene, right? Heal me in my pain. Tend to my grief. Deliver me from difficult situations. Let me praise you for the list of things I'd like you to do for me. Listen even though no one really understood what Jesus was doing, he's told us that his identity and his purpose and his saving work do not require our complete understanding of what he's doing. Only faith. Faith is what's required, not complete understanding. His charge to lay down his life and take it up again wasn't fueled by our capacity to understand it or accept it. This was a charge he received from his father, he tells us. When you look at the story of Holy Week in Jerusalem, Jesus is not a victim. He is presiding over the events as they unfold. No one took his life from him. He laid it down. In fact, if Palm Sunday riding in on this cult wasn't enough, guess what he did on Monday? He went into the temple and he overturned the money changers' tables and said this was his father's house. Guess what he did on Tuesday? He stuck around in that temple and taught with authority. And when his authority was questioned by the religious leaders, he said, Okay, I'm going to ask you a question, and if you can answer my question, then I'll answer yours. John's baptism, was that from God or from man? And with that question, he put him in a corner because John was a folk hero to many of the people of Israel, and they didn't really believe that John was heralding the coming of the Christ. And so they said, we don't know. And Jesus said, well, then I'm not going to tell you. (laughs) That would happen on Tuesday. He's getting them riled up. On Wednesday, he's anointed for his burial. On Thursday, he convenes in the upper room with his disciples, gives them the last supper is arrested and betrayed in the garden of Gethsemane. The soldier's ear is struck off and he heals it in that moment. Friday, he stands before Pilate. Pilate is trying to get Jesus to just say something that Pilate can say, okay, then I'm going to let you go based on that. There's not enough evidence. And Jesus won't talk. He won't exonerate himself. And Pilate says, don't don't you understand? I have the power to crucify you, I also have the power to release you. What does Jesus say to Pilate? He says, you wouldn't have any power if it wasn't given to you by my father. Is this somebody who's having his life taken from him? No. Does Jesus' ability to intervene in your life hinge on your ability to understand every facet of who he is and what he has done? No. No. He did what he came to do for a world that did not receive him. Romans 5.8, Romans God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Easter is a call for us to believe Jesus when he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And whoever believes in me, though he die, Yet shall he live, and everyone who lives because he believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Pray with me. Lord, we are reminded that the story of our salvation is a narrative. It's a story that unfolds over time. Thank you for the detail in John's gospel that reminds us, that shows us that the people gathered on the hillside because of what Christ had done with Lazarus and that Jesus said of that whole episode with Lazarus that this wasn't going to end in death but was going to end in the glory of the Son of God and thank you that we can see with hindsight that he wasn't referring to Lazarus' death and resurrection but he was referring to his own which would be the saving work that would reconcile us to God. It's a beautiful story, and I thank you for it. I thank you that it's more than a story, that it's true. Lord, thank you that you condescended to become one of us, to make us like you, and to restore us to you. And we're grateful. Lord, thank you for Holy Week. Help us to be contemplative this week as we spend time in prayer and scripture walking through these events as they happened in real time. Make us mindful of the beauty and the agony and the mystery and the wonder and the power and the authority of Jesus Christ and his suffering and his death and his resurrection. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Before the uh, benediction and doxology, just want to remind you again um, of your option to give. Uh, You can go to the website, and there's a button there that says give, and you can sign up to give online uh, as well. So, with that said, Hear the Lord's benediction. I've chosen this benediction from the end of the book of Jude, the letter to Jude, and then we'll sing the doxology together. So if you're so inclined, raise your hands and your hearts with me and hear this benediction, this good word. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory and majesty and dominion and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Let's sing. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Amen. Amen. See you soon.